Hey, Senda. Hey, Phil. Hey, I don't know which one of these two topics to do. Published adventures or mysteries? Like, do you do you want to pick? Yeah, no. How about both? Both is good. Oh, it's a twofer. Cue music. And welcome to another fine episode of Pandas Talking Games. I am one of your hosts, Phil. And I am your other host, Senda. And for today, we are, in fact, doing two smaller questions. We weren't quite sure if we could tease either of these out completely into a full-on episode, since, you know, they're not 15 minutes anymore. Um, But... We're going to start with a question from Axel, who emailed us to ask, I always struggle when I have to connect published adventures that don't already have a connection of sorts, e.g. one being the other's sequel. Do you have any tips for how to connect the unconnected? Yeah. Once again, excellent question. And uh, let's talk really quick about published adventures, right? Published adventures uh, range from like a fully published adventure can't you know adventure arc or adventure that is you know everything you know it's got maps it's got npcs and all of that all the way down to something like eureka which is like 500 words it's a 500 word plot that has an inciting incident some rising action a climax and you know a space for a little denouement but doesn't really give you all the details but it is a full structure yeah okay These things are great. Uh, While I do write most of my own stuff for my own games, I have certainly run published adventures over, you know, in in different games for different reasons. But they're fantastic if either you don't have the time to put something together, right? It's it's pretty easy to be able to just go to drive through, read something, buy it and, uh, you know, then quick prep it to run. Uh, Or, you know, like there are times where you're just low on creativity the second episode the second story in the children of the shroud game is a eureka plot yeah i was gonna just throw in there if you are a patreon backer um of the misdirected mark network uh you might just want to jump in and listen to phil's last behind the screen uh when that audio is there because it is literally just talking about using basically pre-published ideas to jumpstart your creativity to get you going again Yeah, absolutely. So, all right. So now rolling this up to Axel's question, talking about how to connect two published adventures. I'm going to say that the advice that we're about to give will work, whether it's two published adventures or a published adventure and a homebrew, a homebrew and a published adventure. Like we're talking about connecting two adventures. Yes. Yep. Connecting two adventures that didn't all spring from your head where they came forth already connected. Right. Correct. Or that you didn't buy a campaign arc with multiple adventures that have their own interconnectivity in them. You literally uh, bought one on drive through and then the other one like you bought at the bookstore and you're like, how do I how do I get these two to fit in my campaign? Yes. Cool. Yep. Great. So in order to do that, let's talk about two ways that you can do this. So the first one is, I will say you can connect to the edges. 
Yeah, the right? endpoints. Yes, you can. Yeah. I, I don't want to say endpoints because not okay, edges. not endpoints. Sure, because <laughs> you're connecting the end of one to the beginning to of the, the beginning other, right? Of the other. Yeah, yeah. So you can connect the edges. Okay, so just to be clear, endpoints being a design term that means the end of a line, no matter where it is located. Okay, carry on. Uh, sure. <laughs> Let's go with edges, though. It's fine. Edges. Sure. Like, edges. I said end. I said ends in the notes, but you said ends in the notes. I, I said endpoints because of my. I was link, thinking sure. graphically. Now you're saying edges. That also works. We all know what we're talking about now. Absolutely right. <laughs> okay, so you can connect the edges. Or you can create a through line. Sure. Yes. Okay. So let's talk about edges first. So when I say connect the edges, what I mean is you have an adventure where uh, the players have gone through the whole adventure. They've uh, hit the climax, passed through the denouement, and they are now done. And then they need to get to the other adventure, which has an inciting incident and the rest of its story structure. And how do how do players get from the first one to the second one? Yes. Okay. I'm going to do the first one and then we'll ping pong back and forth. Okay. So one of the easy ways for this to work is that if your campaign is structured such that the players' jobs are to basically to go to a place and do a thing, go to a place, do a thing, that kind of thing. Mission structures are good for this. Um, play uh, Structures where the players get calls from help, right? Like they're superheroes, right? So they, yes, they have defeated, you know, Dr. X, but... In the next adventure, they get a call from the mayor because they need help with, you know, uh, Mega Stilt Man. Don't Mega laugh. Mega Stilt Man? Don't laugh. There's a Stilt Man in Marvel superheroes. It's okay. pretty funny, but yes. Okay, Stilt I just, Man. I, I made a Mega Stilt Man because that's yeah, cool. Yeah, sure. My kid anyway, is really into T-Man. He has yeah. T-based powers, so, sure. you know. So if your campaign has that kind of framework, Right. That's super easy because you need almost no connective tissue to do that. Right. Like you're just like, oh, yes, the adventure ended. Dr. X is like being carted away in jail and Uh your super communicator goes off. It's the mayor. Oh, no. Yeah. Now what? (laughs) Yeah. And if you are setting up a campaign where you are like if you're setting up a campaign where you know that you're going to do a bunch of published adventures then this is a good framework to build into your session zero work in your group template where you build in this framework for how the group operates so that you can do just this. When I was running Dungeon Crawl Classics during the pandemic, we were playing it as a campaign because our char- the characters were going from one dungeon to another. And... To even avoid this whole problem, quite literally, it was like, oh, yeah, you guys adventure around to hear rumors of like cool dungeons and then you go, you like you go deal with them. And so literally every time we finished one published dungeon, I would just pick up the next one. I would do a little bit of editing of whatever box text it was about how they heard the rumor or something. And off we went. So you can build that framework in and if you do it makes what axel's asking about easier yeah because then it's everybody's expectation 
sure. right, for the campaign but, and but, everybody will just play into it, right? But maybe you didn't do that. Yeah, maybe right? you didn't maybe do that. Maybe your game isn't set up like that. Sure. And that's also totally fine because maybe you sat down and you were like, we're going to play a really intense D&D campaign and people are expecting something that, you know, connects a little bit more or whatever it is. Um, I think the next easy one, and this is actually a little bit similar to the rumors one, potentially, but, um, or the rumors that you were talking about for your Dungeon Crawl Classics, which is geoproximity, right? And that just means, um, you know, in traveling from whatever they just finished to wherever they were headed to, home, the next town, blah, 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 right? Um, things can happen to start the next adventure that they basically can stumble across. So that's, I I like to call this one a funny thing happened on the way home from the dungeon. That's 100%. <laughs> yep. Right? Um so you can you can just drop the next adventure in their path mm-hmm. um to make it, you know. So you maybe maybe you're on your way home from a massive battle that ended the last um published adventure and now you're starting a different published adventure that is a dungeon crawl, you know, if they stumble across um, said dungeon um, or, you know, somebody falls into the pit trap that is the entrance and now they have to go in and deal with that. Awesome. They've now entered the dungeon like they've now you've, you've looped them in basically. Yeah, absolutely. And and if you think like, well, that sounds kind of cheesy, like every one of your favorite yeah. TV shows has 100 percent done this. It's yes. It's a super <laughs> it is a super common trope. Don't even be, don't feel guilty about using it. The best shows have done this, uh, have done this stunt. If you do it all the time, yeah, you it can get do it. cliche, which yeah. is where trope gets overused. It becomes cliche. So avoid that. But yeah, geoproximity is a great way. All you have to do is figure out where the inciting incident is for the new adventure and then just figure out how to drop it onto the path of where they're going. So yeah. if let's say that the inciting incident is a rumor, well, then on their way home at the tavern they stay at because they're too far to get home or something or a traveler they bump into on the road or whatever has the rumor. Yep. Rumor Hands is fed. Off. Yeah, exactly. Off you if, go. If it's a combat encounter, well, guess what? You just stick the combat encounter wherever the book yeah. said it was and you put it on the road or just off the road in a field that they can see whatever done yep perfect oh, okay the last one is kind of like what i talked about in the example for the framework is if your group has any kind of patron any kind of ally anything where they can be asked a favor obligated to do something etc you can just have the patron or the mission giver. Yeah, I was going to say there's a mission giver thing. Yeah, push the mission to them. And and and, and the thing that I, the reason I wanted to throw in mission giver is sometimes you will play in a um, in a game in which you have like some sort of power structure potentially, right? Like if you are in some kind of army or like if you're playing a law and order style police drama there's a chief of police who may tell you this is what you need to work on next right like depending on the power structure dynamic of the game itself you may just have someone that can just hand out here's your next mission go do it yeah yeah so those are like really straight those are really straightforward ways and basically all you're doing is kind of giving an excuse to put the players into the other adventure yeah and then once they're once they've kind of once they've kind of 
hit the on-ramp to the other adventure, that adventure will take over and move them through it. Yeah, you got you really, I think what we're actually talking about really is how do you put the hook out there to get them into the next adventure? And this, this, I will just say for players, it is your responsibility. We have talked about this before to take the hook um, and run with it. Bite down on that hook. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like players, don't give your GM shit for this. Like, yeah. If you take if, the if, hook. If there's a caravan getting beat, like beat beat down by a bunch of bandits as you're you walking down the yeah. road, go save the. Yeah, yeah. You, you don't. You don't like. Oh, I don't know. We're tired from that dungeon we just finished. Let's just sneak on past and ignore it, right? Like, nah, nah, uh, 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 uh. Right. okay. <laughs> so. Yeah, and, and really what it comes down to is at the end of the first adventure, you know where the players are. Yes. Like from whatever the end of the adventure is, it tells you where the players are. And you know from the next adventure what the, like you're looking for the inciting incident. And it's yes. easy because it's like the first thing in the yes. in the adventure, hopefully. Uh, if somebody has written it well, the inciting incident is easy to find. Um, good adventures may have an introduction piece where they will tell you how to get this adventure into the path of the players. They may give you some options. DCC does a really good job of this, where they'll give you a couple different suggestions to say like, hey, here's, you know, like uh, their patron could give it to them. It could come from here. They might hear this rumor, whatever it is. So you find that and then just do the little bit of story work that says, how do they get from where they are to run into my inciting incident? Yes. Okay, cool. Cool. Now let's talk about the harder one. Yes. It's harder. It still definitely can be done, which is the through line. And this is the case where you are now taking disconnected individual adventures and you are going to make a meta arc. Yes. Whether it's just a meta arc of two stories or you plan to keep this going with additional stories, you are going to make a through line. That is, you are going to make a a plot line that's going to run through and connect and explain the relationship of each of these adventures. You can already hear how this is more complicated. Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, it simply definitely is more complicated. Yeah, right? and it's okay. Like, it's okay to do it. If, if you want, like, if you're down for a little extra work and a little extra creativity, you definitely can do this through line. It is definitely more work than just uh, taking care of your edges. Yes. Okay. Yeah. But so, your players may appreciate it because it's really cool when it works, right? Like oh, if you get oh, it absolutely. all nailed down, then it's super neat. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So when we think of things that have through lines, what we're talking about is continuity. Yeah. Right? So continuity means that events in one place have an effect in events in other places. It also means like character. This applies to events, characters, backgrounds, things like that. You're creating this continuity, which means that stuff that in the case of Axel's question, stuff in the first adventure, stuff in one adventure has an influence on the other adventure, whether it's the first adventure on the second or the second on the first or, you know, add more adventures, make that statement more complicated. Yes. Okay. How 
can you do that? What's the first thing you can do? And it's probably if you're going to do a through line, one of the easiest ways to connect all these together. Yeah, it's to have some your your biggest bad, your your campaign level big bad um, outside of each adventure, but basically kind of controlling it, right? Like this is, um, you know, biggest bad has a lieutenant that was the bad for um, you know, published adventure A and biggest bad had a lieutenant that was responsible for um, published adventure B, right? And so then you, you know, you discover that biggest bad was controlling all of those and that's sort of your campaign um, end point is that you have biggest bad that you got to wrap up once you take care of everything else. Um, the thing that's interesting about this and I think where the real work can come in on this is knowing and understanding why why does the biggest bad want their lieutenants to, you know, do these two things, right? Why, why does this stuff happen? And that's, so that's where the creative part um, really kicks in, I think, with using this solution. I think it's a really good one. Um, you just have to know, why does the biggest bad care about what their lieutenants are doing? What does, what would the actions of the lieutenants, if they were successful, accomplish for biggest bad? Um, and that's, that's kind of the key the key thing to sort out to make the meta plot stick together. Yeah. And so you, your big bad, your biggest bad can yes, be of your, you can, your biggest bad could be of your own design. Yes. Or if you're getting really complicated here, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Truly complicated. Could, yeah. What you could do is you could go get an adventure that is say several levels higher. I'm yes. going to just use levels, several levels higher than where your players currently are. Find out who, the bad is from that adventure, make them the big bad for the other adventures. And therefore, uh, after the players progress through adventure A and adventure B, adventure C feels like the confrontation with the boss. Yeah. But it really was just a published, a adventure, published adventure that had a higher level bad guy. Sure. I mean, this actually hooks into something else that I was going to mention on this topic, which is a little bit different than a really specific um potential framework but it is if you are invested and you have the time to plan this out you can read ahead right so you can know what your next adventure what the adventure after that is or what you know you want your end adventure to be so that you can take stuff from that adventure and sprinkle it backwards down so that you have the right foreshadowing so that you can use some of the same locations or characters or the biggest bad um, right and pull them backwards down into your lower level stuff so that that end point adventure can give you the ideas of what the connective tissue is and you can just you can feed it down all the way through the other adventures to connect them all but you do yeah, have to spend the time reading ahead and planning what adventures you're going to play like in advance then to do that right correct this is like this is a lot more work it but is if a lot more for, work if yeah. you were for instance like if you were to be setting up a campaign and you didn't have a lot of time and you were like i'm going to use published adventures and your players were like we want to play like a three adventure arc or you know 20 session six session 10 session whatever campaign and you went and like raided your library and was like okay i got these three unrelated modules of you know a low level one a mid-level one a high level one you know you could sit down and write a meta arc after you've read yeah. each one to like create the narrative for how these all connect and then you're going to want to do things like you're going to want to add to the other two information and seeds that inform 
about the third one. You may even want a, a vague appearance by the big bad in the other two. Like you will be yeah. doing some work. You're going to be doing some work. You you but you can also do some easy stuff with that, right? Like you might pluck out um, NPCs who fulfill a certain role in your endpoint adventure and pull them back into the beginning adventure and maybe maybe one of the you know npcs they deal with in the first adventure instead of being the one written by the first adventure is really the same as one in a later adventure which i think is actually our last idea that just sort of sprang forth naturally from having this conversation which is to use um common npcs to help tie things together right Mm -hmm. and and the thing that i will say about published adventures is um they're really useful and you can always use them exactly as they are, but don't be scared to be like, oh man, this NPC is fulfilling the, the, a similar role in this adventure to, you know, Adventure X that we're playing next or that we played last. So I'm, instead of making them a completely different person that my PCs have never met or interacted with, we're going to make them the same as this NPC from this other adventure. Right. Like, yeah. and it's okay to just do a real quick reskin on that so that you are reusing elements. And that might be the NPC. It might be the town that they're staying in. Right. Like, you don't have to drag them to different towns all over the place. You can just, you know, reskin whatever location that the home base town is for that adventure to be the town they were in before, um, et cetera. Right. So don't be scared to do a little bit of just quick reskinning quick renaming um, as long as that stuff makes sense. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I would highly recommend if you're going to go down this path, which I think is pretty cool, right? It uh, is if pretty you're, cool. If yeah. you're going to go down this path, which again, it's going to involve some work, the thing that you're going to want to write is a what's going on document. Yeah. For yourself, you're going to want to write the connective tissue that explains the stories from all three adventures and how they all connect together and make sense. You're going to then use that document to figure out what elements, clues, NPCs and stuff you want to sprinkle between the adventures. Yeah. And then you're going to want to take the adventure and add prep to it, like put some post-it notes or a second, you know, a Google Docs page that you're going to keep next to your adventure, whatever, where you have to kind of push in that additional material. Yeah. Or where you've, you know, taken liberties and, you know, made a different print copy so you can cross out the names and write in the name you're using or whatever it is, right? Exactly. Yeah. So definitely can be done. So to kind of wrap up this section, you can connect edges or you can create through lines. If you are setting up your campaign from the beginning, you can pick either one of these, do the necessary work um, to do them. If you want to do edges, right, build a framework that makes the edges super easy to explain so you don't have to do a lot of work. Yeah, You're yeah. able to just kind of really easy just come up with, oh, how do I get them on this path? Bing, I'm done. Or if you want to do a through line, sit and do a little work, create your what's going on document, plan out how you're going to interconnect all of your adventures, i.e. create your continuity line right through those adventures. And you've got yourself a campaign. Yep. Cool. Cool. Thank you, Axel, for an awesome question. Yeah. And, let's and move. now. Yeah, let's move right along to question number two. We're doing it again. We're doing it again. We're just going to do it again. Um, so our second question comes from Paige, who asked, when you are running a mystery game, what can you do to dole out clues without railroading? This, I mean, and this one's interesting, right? Because I what? think it's something that people encounter a lot. 
Got a lot of terminology to unpack. Yeah, here. we do have a lot of terminology. Okay, definition panda. Here's hit me. <laughs> here's the thing. We're gonna unpack a bunch of terminology, but by the time we get through the terminology, I suspect you will figure out our you, advice. Yeah, you will and then already we'll know. just tell it to you to be sure that we're clear <laughs> about it. But I think you will understand where we're going to fall on this. So let's first talk about what is a mystery. Yes. So a mystery is a type of story where one acquires clues to understand an event that has already happened, right? Yes. There is a dead body. Who killed this person? Not to be confused with a thriller, right? Correct. Where a thriller is what is or will happen. Right. We're collecting clues to figure out what will happen. A yes. terrorist attack is imminent. Where will it occur? What yes. kind of attack will it be? Let's collect clues and figure that out. Right. So just okay. to make that distinguish, distinguish those. Sure. Yes. Okay. A railroad, and I'm going to use our very misdirected mark network description for railroad because we have a very narrow definition of this. And, and I will clarify where some people uh, do not use this definition. Our definition of a railroad is when the narrative choices of players do not affect the outcome of the story. Yes. So, for instance, a very railroady tactic I used to use as a GM is what I call Schrodinger's encounter. Yeah, you just put like <laughs> whatever door you open, I already know the encounter that's going to happen because I only have one. Yes. <laughs> so when you open the door, left or right, you get that encounter. So the narrative choice of opening the door did Doesn't not affect matter. the outcome of the story, which leads to why even have two doors, but that's a higher level philosophical discussion. Okay. The idea with a railroad, again, is that players' choices don't actually matter in the outcome of the story. Now, where railroad sometimes gets confused or like the, it gets a little fuzzy is when we talk about things like linear stories where scene A leads to scene B that leads to scene C, D, blah, 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 until the story's done. That's only a railroad if no matter what you do in each scene doesn't affect, like has no effect on the scene that comes after it. Like if you take a thing, kill a guy, whatever, and it has no effect on what happens in the next one, that's a railroad. But if the things you do in one scene flow into the other scene, even though you're going from A to B to C to D, that's just linear storytelling. Okay. Tease those two apart because yeah. that's a thing. Yep. All right. When it comes to RPGs, let's talk about two types of mysteries. The first one has two subcategories. So I'm going to tell you the first type. Sure. We're going to talk about the two subcategories. Then we'll talk about the second type. If it's okay with you, I'm going to do the first type. This yeah, yeah. is my area of expertise. I know. It's your jam. Yeah, we've And I will about give you the second one because you have recently played a bunch of this. Yes. Okay. <laughs> the first type of, of RPG mystery is the prepared mystery. This means that the GM knows what has happened and has created a set of clues for the players to discover the clues in order to understand what happened. This is how most of gumshoe works. Yes. Right. If you are preparing your gumshoe games, even if you're improvising some of it, you know what happened and you are giving the players clues. Yes. Okay. Now, within prepared, there are two ways to handle clues. 
The first one is linear clue progression. So this is where a, you go to a place, you find a clue, that clue points you to the to place B. And in place B, it points you to place C and D, and then you solve the mystery. This is how the first half hour of all Law and Order TV shows work. Up until the point where they arrest the person, this is how it's done. They find a body, they find a clue on the body, they go to the restaurant and they talk to the person. The person at the restaurant tells them about the super at their building, at the victim's building. They go to the victim's building to talk to the super, blah, blah, blah. They arrest a guy. Mm -hmm. Okay, A to B to C to D. It's still a mystery because you're collecting clues, but each clue only sends you one place. The alternative to that is what is called branch clues, where you go to site A, you find three clues, B, C, and D. And when you go to those, they lead to other places or back to other established places, like a clue in E leads you back to C, but also to F, right? And it makes mm -hmm. a web. Yes. Okay. And then, so that's prepared, prepared linear, prepared branched. Right. Cool. So the other one is open. And I don't think anyone will be surprised that this is the kind that I've played a lot more um, recently. Um, this is where there is an event. We know that an event happened. We don't know how or why. But instead of the GM knowing that this is, you know, what happened and you trying to discover it, um, the players actually determine what happened based on the clues that you give them. So this is Brindlewood Bay, right? You collect a bunch of clues and then you sit down together as a, um, a team of players and you theorize and then you see if you're right, right? Um, this is also Noirlandia, right? Which is a very mm -hmm. similar thing where you take the clues, you just collect a bunch of random clues and then based on the clues, you come up with a theory as players as to what actually happened. And the GM or the facilitator doesn't know. Or in Warlandia's case, there isn't one. Yeah. And the nice thing about this is, is that um, from a prep perspective. Yeah, it's great. You don't have to prep anything. <laughs> you don't have you just to have prep. to throw a, you have to throw a body on the floor, uh -huh. have a list of potential clues. Yep. And uh, it helps, it helps greatly. I think in both New Orlandia and in um, the Brindlewood games, there is a mechanic for when you attempt to solve right i'm going to yes. just do this from brindlewood bay because sure, it's very cool I, I don't remember it's, it's been a long head. time since i played norlandia yeah you <laughs> played brindlewood bay and i'm playing public access they're based on the same system so you when you're ready to solve um, a, a mystery or part of a mystery you have a you have to make a move but yeah yeah there's a move that basically says you know on a 10 plus your theory is 100% correct. Congratulations. On a seven to nine, uh, your theory is right, but some shit's going to happen because, you know, you were right. And on a six to, you know, six minus, um, your theory is wrong and, you know, the GM's going to fuck you up for it. Yeah, um, okay. In Brindlewood Bay, your theory is wrong and there's a plot twist. Right? Sure. Like there's a twist. There's a straight on like murder she wrote style twist, which is so good. But anyway. Don't, don't quote me exactly on that move, but yeah, you get yeah, the I'm pretty sure it doesn't say the GM's right. gonna fuck you up. <laughs> so, <laughs> so pretty sure public, it doesn't say that. <laughs> in public access, each question has a certain difficulty, which means it is a minus to that role. 
And then what you do is for each clue that you found that you incorporate into your explanation of what happened, you get a plus one. So you can start by wiping out the negative and then with a few more clues, give yourself a bonus to the roll. Yeah. And it means that it's also totally, I just love saying this, right? Like it means it's totally possible that some of those clues were red herrings. um, And you just get to decide that as players, what's a red herring, because we're not going to use it because it doesn't make sense. Yeah, you literally just don't use it, right? You're just like, cool. That one doesn't make sense. We're not going to use it. Awesome. That one was a red herring. Exactly. So what's great about it again is I... No one knows. The GM doesn't know. The players don't know. No one knows what the answer to the mystery is until the dice hit the table. It's great. And it, I will just say, it makes it so easy to prep those. The prep for that mystery is so, uh, (laughs) so unbelievably light. Um, You know, you need basically a list of potential clues and some, some NBCs. Anyway, moving right along. That's an open mystery. It's the one where the players decide what happened. Yep. So now let's go back to Paige's question. When running a Mr. Game, what can you do to dole out clues without it, without railroading? Yes. Okay. So prepared mysteries work best when you freely give the clues to the player, right? That's going to feel railroading. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you that that sentence right there is uh, basically from gumshoe. Yeah. Don't make the players work hard for the clues, right? Yeah. Give clues freely to the players. Where you want to give them freedom is for them, how they want to interpret, like how they're going to put together or what they do with the clue. Like, do they want to go to another place? Do they want to take it to the lab for further analysis? You want to give them freedom to work with the clues after they've got them in their hands. And you want to give them freedom for what to do when they have figured out the meanings of the clues, right? If you force those things, that yeah. is where a prepared mystery will feel railroady. Yeah. Like if they find a thing, but they can only take it to some like person. Right. Yeah. You have to give them the freedom to decide how they interact with or get more information from the clue or what basically you, you have to make sure that they have the agency still in the game to act on the information you've given them giving them the information the fact that you are feeding them information even in in a line like even if they're linear clues um that part is going to be linear but what they do with it how they react to it what they do as they theorize um you know how they decide to then pick up on that clue and look at it more whatever it is that stuff has to remain things that they get to decide exactly Now that will help with a prepared, that'll help with a prepared mystery. That'll help keep the railroady part out. I will just tell you, like, if your concern is specifically the doling out of the clues, don't feel bad about doling out the clues in a kind of hand them to the player, make them super easy, barely make them roll kind of way. I think Gumshoe is fantastic at this, where Gumshoe is basically like, if you have a point in that skill, you just find the clue. And... In every scene, you will always find what is called the core clue, which is how you can get to another part of the mystery. Yeah. So you don't make them work hard. 
give like give them out like candy because that's not the finding clues is not the exciting part of a mystery. It's interpreting the clues and acting them upon them. That is the exciting parts of mysteries. So let me just throw something out there and tell me if you agree, because I, I was just thinking about this as you were saying that maybe the other piece to this is if you give out clues that they can or have to interact with in some way to figure out what information they want to act on. Like, for example, you found um, nail clippings, you got to send them back to the lab or something to figure out whose they are, right? You know, that's a clue. But you may not, you have multiple paths to kind of decide what to do with that clue, versus leaving a piece of paper that says, you know, meet me at the barn, right? Like, and there's a barn over there, like, okay, well, now we'll walk over to the barn. Like, I mean, you could still make decisions about that clue. Like you could be like, cool, are there fingerprints on it? Right. So I think it, it, some of it is maybe also giving people clues that they have multiple ways to interact with so that they're not limited on how they interact with the clue that was given and not limited on their choice of um, what they choose to do with that information. Right. So I, I think when we're talking about, and this drifts a little from our, our topic here, but it's, fair. I, it, but, but it's fine. I'm, hap- I'm happy to, to diverge for a second. When we're talking about scenes for mysteries and when we're talking about pacing mysteries, rarely should a scene only ever uncover a clue. Yeah. Right. Because if it only uncovers a clue, then there's only so much that can the players can do. It's better... And this gets to our next piece of information here. So let me say this and then I'll jump back into what I was saying. Linear mysteries always feel more railroady than branched mysteries. Yes. So branched mysteries, by their very nature, allow the players to exert agency onto where on the web they want to go next. Yes. So what you want to do is, especially your big crime scene, should have multiple clues but also should have things like let's say let's say we find some dna evidence right that's got to go to the lab the players can't really interact with that sure that's nice that's more of a pacing clue sure. which is here's a clue that later in the mystery when the results are in yep i'm gonna tell you a thing yep that's important or it'll be meaningful later in the mystery that's a pacing clue another type of clue is like okay well you found uh, let's say let you found a um, you found a receipt to a storage locker and you found a chunk uh, looks like a ripped piece of paper from a book with text that you don't recognize. OK, now the players have some choices. Can one of the players decipher the text? Maybe, maybe not. Do they need to go to the library? Do they need to go to the university to discover the meaning of that text? What about this receipt? Can we go to the location where the receipt is? What clues could we learn from the people who work there? Yeah. Or by being able to determine which storage unit it is. Exactly. Right. So what you want is, um, and and I will say this from a, I will say this from a present problems, not solutions put a receipt in but don't put like the storage locker name in it unless the cool thing that's going to happen is something's going to happen when they open up the storage locker like somebody's going to jump out at them or you want to switch from clue collection to a chase and when they get there they see people like putting boxes in a truck kind of thing if they're just going to go get the clue and open up the storage locker and find a clue then don't solve it for them just say like oh 
there's a receipt and it points to Joe's storage locker. And then they can decide, well, I'm going to go use my social skills and I'm going to go talk to the person or, you know, hey, can we, you know, like, um, you know, maybe we're going to sneak in and like break into their computer and see where, you know, what, mm -hmm. like, you know, mm -hmm. where this receipt goes to. You can give them some, again, agency. Yeah. Agency is the key, the key thing that we're, we're talking about yeah. here. So your, your clues should always lead to getting more clues until you've reached critical mass. And then at critical mass, hopefully the players have enough clues that they can see the picture or you can, as GM, help them interpret the picture. Then, and this is very much also a gumshoe thing, once they know a thing, like once they know the mystery, like who killed a person, whatever, then you open it up to what do you want to do about that? Are Which you is gonna, also key. Are you going to rush to their house to, you know, capture them? Are you going to get them at work? Are you going to, you know, oh, they're trying to flee. You're going to find them at the, you know, the train station, whatever. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So that said, let me, let me back up because that was a lot yes. of words. Yes, yes, yes. Four prepared mysteries. You want to give the freedom to interpret and act upon the information. Don't worry about handing out clues. Hand them out like candy. Um, and go with branched clues rather than linear to feel less railroady because branched introduces the agency of where to how to traverse the clue web yes okay then take it away yeah yeah so just to touch briefly again on then open mysteries they're very rarely gonna feel very railroady just because they're really open right and the players are in fact determining everything except the event that has already passed but they do actually require a different kind of prep um and in sort of a different way to run them and there's kind of a different way to play them right so one of the things that will happen is uh, as a gm you're you're th basically throwing a lot of random stuff out there so that there's a lot of random bits to be collected by the players so Actually, here's what's really funny. If you think about every year for Easter, I make my kiddo a treasure hunt because he's really too old to collect eggs, right? Like, but I put it in the eggs and like there's a clue in each egg and it's a very linear little treasure hunt where one clue needs leads to the next clue, leads to the next clue, leads to the next clue. And he just has to figure them out to find the basket that has all the candy in it, right? Like he comes out in the morning, there's one egg that it has the first clue in it. And so he's looking in closets and under the sink and blah, 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 right? So that's very linear. But when he was a toddler, we used to just take the eggs and like just throw them out on the yard, right? And he would run around and collect them all. They weren't really even, um, you know, as he got older, they were a little, they were hidden, but they were just also just spread everywhere. So for an open mystery, you're kind of doing an Easter egg hunt for like a six to eight year old, not a, not an Easter egg hunt for a toddler and not an Easter egg hunt for like a 15 year old, right? You, you're doing it in a way where you're like, you've hid them, but they're just kind of everywhere. If that makes sense. Um, I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. And the other interesting thing about doing open mysteries is you can't decide as a GM how the clues actually relate to each other. And that's that's part of what changes it as a player too, because uh, Brindlewood Bay, for example, um, if one of the clues is that you found an old letter from, um, you know, someone in the military to their sweetheart, as someone who's played a lot of um, prepared mysteries, 
my, you know, immediate reaction is like, oh, who is it from? Who is it to? But as, um, as a GM of an open mystery, you may not want to end, you may not want to answer that information, right? Because that's the kind of thing that players are going to want to determine, oh, that letter is from this person to this person, right? Because that's how it fits into our theory of what happened in this mystery, right? So the interesting shift to make both as a player and as a GM is that you have to leave some stuff really open-ended and the clues are not, not they're not going to lead to each other, right? Because they're not connected until the player's make them connected. Or if they have a connection, it's a connection that the players have created in the moment, not a connection that you've written in as a GM, if that makes sense. So mm -hmm. you just got to go out, find all the little Easter eggs, bring them back to the table, open them all up, and then see what you think, right? That's the, that's the big difference in terms of how we play or plan those mysteries um, is just that you're going to throw a bunch of stuff at the wall and the players are going to decide what sticks and how they think it all connects together. Um, you're not building any, any of that connective tissue. And the funniest part with Brindlewood Bay is that the first part of the mystery is always meeting all of your potential suspects. And they're all going to say things that sound suspicious, right? In a very Agatha Christie kind of way. Um, and then, you know, at the end of the mystery, you decide who it was because you also decide how you want to connect the clues to any of the people. So your people all have to be kind of equally suspicious and also equally questionably suspicious, right? So there's, I think there's a lot of work to be done in, the, in a very different way, which is that everything has to have the potential to connect without actually building any connection, which means sometimes that the the clues and the suspicion in an open mystery can be a little bit more vague because you're not trying to lead them anywhere. Anyway, the point being of that, that if you really want to play a mystery, that you do not have to worry about it being a railroad or being railroady feeling at all. Um, the solution to that is if you play an open mystery, it simply can't be because that's the way the mechanics are actually written. You have no choice but to give the players agency in everything because as mm -hmm. the GM, you actually don't know what happened either. You're just presenting them with a problem and saying, and here's a bunch of clues. <laughs> what do you think happened, players? Um, so it's really not possible even to, to really railroad in that situation as a mystery, I guess is what I would say. Yeah, absolutely. So yes, to go back to Paige's question, uh, there are a couple different ways to deal with mysteries and that railroady feeling. The ultimate being open, right? Go yeah. get yourself a copy of Brindlewood Bay, public access, something like that. There'll be a bunch more games coming down the line with this uh, mechanics yeah. in the future. Yeah, yeah. Have yourself a great time, which is going to be a very open game that's going to be about mysteries. Uh, it'll just be, it's just going to be a mystery to everybody. Which yeah. I think Chris will tell you because he's running two games of two campaigns he's really into of, it, yeah. <laughs> of um, public access is that the mysteries don't actually solve the same way because the players just get to make up what it is. Yeah, they're going to come up with different answers, you know, and, exactly. and depending on the makeup of the people at the table, it's going to be drastically different because when I played Brindlewood, we went from everything like, oh, it was this person to, oh, it was all of them. And this is why. And this was what happened. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> like everybody except this one person is implicated in this murder. Yep. So very cool. And if you are going to do um, prepared mysteries, take the tips that we said branched 
and give that freedom for interpretation and action and you'll be you'll be doing just fine. Yep. Cool. cool. Those are our two questions. Uh, thank you to both uh, Paige and Axel for those questions. Those were excellent. And we were happy to do them. Like we said, they weren't quite big enough to get a whole episode out of, but I hate just leaving them in the bin. So we did both of them and we're right on time. So let's jump to a blurb. Tell me about another show on the Misdirected Mark Network. We'll hit the closing and then we're on our way to the Bamboo Lounge. Sounds great. So also on the Misdirected Mark uh, Network, you can hear the Gnome cast on which several gnomes from Gnomes do get, get together and talk about gaming topics and themselves in an effort to entertain you and avoid being thrown in the stew. And most recently, depending on when you're listening to this episode, you can catch me and Jared and Ange talking about world building and me completely forgetting the question I was trying to answer um, and answering a completely different question. Um, But anyway, it's out there and you can listen to me, you know, (laughs) have an ADHD brain moment. And it's pretty funny. Anyway, (laughs) gnome cast. Hey, Senda, where do people find us on the internet? Well, interesting question, Phil. Uh, <laughs> right now, you can still find us on Twitter at Pandas Talk Games. Uh, you can find us on Mastodon at Dice.Camp, um, and we are Idella Mithland and DNA Phil. You can also find us on TikTok with those same usernames. Um, tell us if there's other social media you think that um, we should be on and that we're missing that is the place that everybody is going to. I don't know. Yeah. Also, if you have any blue sky invitations, we would take them. I don't even know what that is yet. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> um, sure. Cool. Uh, sounds good. So so that's where we are is um, we're really trying to figure out where the social media lives again now. Um, you can still find us always, though, in the Misdirected Mark forums, which is forums.misdirectedmark.com. You can also drop us an email, failing all of those other things, or if you simply prefer to be unlimited in your characters. And our email address is panda at misdirectedmark.com. I'm just going to apologize right now because my response response time on that email has been like five days to a week. So like, don't, don't worry if you don't hear back from me immediately. I'm not ignoring you. I'm just bad at checking that email consistently. Um, but I will check it and I will see it. Um, so thank you so much for, for sending us stuff there. Um, we really appreciate it. Phil, what can they do if they find us in one of those places or remember our email address? What can they do with that information? Uh, Just like our two questions today, send us some questions. Send us a thing that you are wondering about. Send us whatever it is that is on your mind that would make your GMing or playing better for you. Whatever that thing is, send it to us. We would like to take a shot at answering it. We will put our many decades of experience, role-playing experience behind it, our game design experience, and just the fact that we do this a lot, so we think about this stuff in a certain way. Like, we'll put all of that expertise to work for you in order to help you run more better games. And just to be clear, it's okay to ask emotional stuff too. Feel free to throw it out there. We're happy to talk about, we can only really express, of course, what we've experienced and, 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 empathetically or sympathetically, um, you know, what other people's experiences might be. But like, don't be scared. Throw it out there. We'll talk about it. Absolutely. I mean, emotions are part of gaming. Yes, they really are. We will t- We will definitely talk about that as well. So we'll share all of our experiences on that in addition. Cool. Anyway, send us those kinds of things. We will take them and make them into shows. That's what we do. So, uh, and again, it could be a big topic where we do like a whole show 
Uh, there have even been a couple topics like many years ago where we had to do multiple shows or yeah, it could true. be a topic like today's where we just bundle up a couple topics and we knock them off, um, you know, one Z, like two Z, three Z kind of things. So anyway, if you like what we do here elsewhere on the Misdirected Mark Network, consider supporting our Patreon campaign. Go to patreon.com slash MMP patrons. Get access uh, to the after show from the Mr. Dr. Mark, the Bamboo Lounge from this show. You get access to the Slack room for life, the uh, great slackers of that room and all the various discussions they have and all of the various room uh, channels in Slack. That's all going on our Friday uh, lunch get together. Uh, if you're eating lunch or even if you're just around when East, East Coast lunch happens, uh, you can join us for that. At uh, some of the higher levels, you can get access to the behind-the-scenes stuff for Children of the Shroud, including the recordings I do before each of the stories, where I kind of give you my insight before the story gets played. And um, also, I think at the 10 level or whatever the higher level is, uh, you get some design stuff. So as Chris is uh, working on his lamplighter system, Senda and I have just been recently talking about bringing uh, Turning Point around into a publishable uh, game again, our design stuff goes into that tier as well. So you can get some sneak peeks and those kinds of things. That's what you do with that. Yeah. Uh, it helps us immensely keep the lights on and keep everything going. So it's super, um, we're super thankful if you're able to be a patron. So if you are, thank you very much. If you're unable to patron the show, we understand there's a thing you can do that uses a little bit of your precious time, but also helps us immensely. And like we said, I think on the last episode, we know some of you are the direct benefits of this. <laughs> yes. And we love you. Um, you can leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice. We really love those. They're fantastic and they help algorithmically in theory. But we also really love it if you just let someone know about the show, somebody that you think might be interested or when whatever social media that you're on, somebody drifts something by that's, you know, um, Boy, I'm looking for a game agnostic podcast about, you know, GMing or player advice or whatever it is. Let, let them know. Here we are. We're here for you. Absolutely. Say, Senda, what is the next mystery you would like to solve? Um, I want to know what happened to the agent in, um, oh no, where was it? I have to look at my notes from our last game, but I really need to know what's going on with her. We're on our way to find out. This show is a joint production of She's a Super Geek and Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Yeah. Quickie. <laughs> Let's All jam. the wave forms flow like this. Flow like this. is literally just for Ryan's benefit at this point, right? Like, this is probably, hopefully, isn't going anywhere else. Hi, Ryan. <laughs> oh, oh, hi, Ryan. <laughs> Didn't see you there. Didn't see you there. Goodness. <laughs> Problem solved. Let's, yeah. let's no, that's good. Move. Thanks for the clarity. I didn't want you right know. along. Otherwise, I, that story sounds weird. It sounds really creepy. It sounds if like you I did something at the drive-through. I didn't. No. Yeah. No. We're not. No. I just put yeah. my game face back on. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs>
always out there saving me. Thank you. you Thank know, you. Just God. looking out for you. Yeah. Are we good? No, we're not good. I can't do the opening of the show. <laughs> well, that's okay. We need to like count and like have a moment of silence and stuff. A moment of here, a moment of silence for for this recording where we thought we were going to be professional. Bloop. I, what? I what? <laughs> Two for one. Bum bum. Show me what you got. Show me what you got. Show me what you got. Show me what you got.